If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Okay, we've got a fantastic guest lined up for today. His name is Raj Nathan. He goes by Raj Nation, by the way. He talks about it in the episode, how his wife sometimes uses that to get his attention. But he is the founder of Startup Hype Man. He's a rapper and a chief pitch artist. And I invited him on the show today because I wanted to get some ideas for how I could improve my own personal elevator pitch, how I could posture myself better and improve my ability to tell stories. And he gets into all of that. He even breaks down my LinkedIn profile and shares a couple ways that I could make that better and more relevant to my audience. And he's actually put together a special offer for SaaS sales players listeners. So if you go to startuphypeman.com slash SSP, you can check out the resource he's put together for you guys. So with all that said, welcome Raj. And we're live. Raj, welcome to the SaaS sales players. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a player in the game. <laughs> Uh, so really quickly, typically where we get started and I've got, I think a lot of questions lined up for you today, just looking over your, your LinkedIn profile and what you've done and, and, you know, sort of really how you sort of position yourself on LinkedIn. I, I have a ton of questions, but I do want to get started with a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are today? And, uh, how did you become the, you know, the startup hype man? Is that, or Raj nation, Raj nation, I should say. Yeah operating as both. Yeah. Um, so I think the best way to kind of just like understand who I am, um, is to kind of just get a feel for like, I think why I do this stuff and yeah, the big driving force in my life, both personally and professionally is I just have this like fundamental, like belief that, everyone deserves to have a voice. Everyone deserves to express themselves. Um, you know, like one of the things that gets at me the most is when I see someone feel like they can't be themselves or they're unable to be themselves because of the situation or the environment they're in. Like those yeah. are like, like I feel that friction probably more than the average person when I observe someone else going through that. Um, or someone who says like, I'm not the type of person who would blank. Um, not to say that like every person should be going in like, you know, free, free climbing, uh, whatever that, that documentary was. Right. Oh um, yeah. yeah the... I'm not saying that's what everyone's path should be. Right. But right. I right. I, I think too often we hold ourselves back out of fear of like, uh, reputation or what will people think, et cetera. So, so my, 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 my driving force is this idea of expression. And I really think the reason I was like put on this earth is, was to help bring out more expression in the world. And so the way I have been able to go about that um, mm. for a long time unknowingly, and then once I realized it, it became very knowingly, is different forms of storytelling. Yeah. And like that, that's the chariot or the vehicle that I've been right. driving to bring out expression in the world, um, both in myself and in others. And what that's manifested over the years is, um, you know, starting Startup Hype Man. Um, but in addition to Startup Hype Man, uh, I teach yoga, mm -hmm. um, which I really view as, you know, that's, that's a little like a physical expression, right? And the mindset I take to putting together a class is very much one of where I think about like the story arc of postures. And, you know, if you, the students who take my classes know that there's always a theme I put at the beginning of the class about something that 
deeper that you should be thinking on as, as class is going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm also a hip hop artist, right? And rap is storytelling through music right. and lyrics. Um, I have become a professional ring announcer for MMA. No way. And yeah. And like, that is right. What am I, what's my job there? It's, it's to hype up the two yeah. fighters, right? It's to, it's to help give them a voice with this audience before they go battle each other. Wow. Right. So all of these things, and there, you know, there's a list of things that I've done in the past that, you know, like I felt fulfilled. So I didn't continue or it didn't pan out, but they were all the, all these different things that I have done that I am doing now and that I will likely do in the future mm-hmm. are all these manifestations of storytelling in the name of expression. I really like that because something I've observed about my own performance is in the environments where I've been totally free to express myself and tell my story and do it sort of shamelessly, you know, and being real, just being who I really am. That is typically when I've done the, the, the highest performance as a seller is, you know, when I'm in that position where I feel totally, you know, like, like, like everyone's behind me to, to just be myself, tell my story, tell lots of stories, have fun with it, you know, be real. And yet, you know, sometimes in my career, I found myself in an environment where I didn't feel comfortable telling my story or being my full self and I didn't do as well. So why, you know, what, what can people do? And I know this is sort of going off track from, from your background, but I think this is a super interesting topic and one that I've never really talked about before, but feel pretty passionately about what can, you know, sellers out there do to, to, to express themselves better. Uh, It might be a weird question, but yeah, you seem like you might have the answer. Well, I think it starts with becoming, it's like the first conversation you need to have is the conversation with yourself, Yeah. Right? like assess what's your existing comfort level with quote unquote, like being who you are. Do you, how do I put it? Do you, do you take on a different personality when you start your work day versus when you're off the clock? Um, even at like a personal level. Do you feel like you have to act a certain way with your friend group? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's putting on an act more or less, or that's like trying to conform in a certain way, right? These are the things that you've got to actually assess and ask, ask yourself, like at a base level, like, especially with friends, do I feel like if I share with them something I'm passionate about, that they will hold space for that? and receive that well and Mm -hmm. want to like support and promote me in that Mm. or if i share that thing with them are they going to laugh at me and say yeah yeah yeah, that's stupid good luck with that right those are all the little things at at a very very like inter and intrapersonal level that you know if if your answer if you're not happy with those answers I think, I think that's the starting point. You got to, you got to be honest about yourself there. And then, then you can build back up out of that. And then it's like, all right, well, do I want to surround myself with different people? Do I need to be in a different work environment? Or do I need to, at least if I don't leave the work environment, do I need to have a conversation with whomever necessary here to say, this is, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is how I've been feeling at this company. And I would actually say in a lot of cases, they have no idea that they're placing that kind of, um, you know, undue sort of like, um, expectation or impression right. on you. I, so I've had that conversation with a manager in the past too, which was, and his perception was like, it feels like you're projecting this onto us. You know, we're not, we're not expecting you to be a certain way other than yourself, but you seem mm. to think that we want you to be, it's, it's a real, like, I guess it's just lack of better word, mind fuck, like to, to kind of get out uh, of that. A lot of times space. we're in our own head about it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and just literally just getting the words out is when we realize maybe, maybe they were like that, but I would venture to say in a lot of cases, we, we just assumed that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. And we never bothered to ask or have the conversation. Um, And then once you have that conversation, it's almost like you can relax your shoulders finally. Because I think, I think that inability to feel like yourself and I, I, you know, once you start extrapolating this out, that's where like, you know, it's startup hype, man. It's like, well, figuring out, you know, as a, at a company level, like what is the being yourself version of this that you're going to be putting out right. into the market to make you unique and stand out. But at an, at an individual level, it's like, when you don't feel like you can be yourself, there is like, you are, you are, you are always tensed up internally, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like your heart is, is tensed up. 
And then that exhale allows everything to shrug down. And it's like, oh my God, I can finally take a full breath again. Oh man, it, this is an interesting topic. One that I've really not, not talked about a lot, but, but certainly I'm familiar with and, and know the struggles and, and really have seen the results, you know, like if you can get to a place, like you say, where, where you're comfortable to express yourself and, you know, you, you don't feel that like negative headspace, then you're going to tend to do better. So storytelling is, is a big theme helping you guys help brands tell stories. Uh, and ultimately that would trickle down to reps telling the story, What's, what's a way to get started with improving one's storytelling abilities? Cause I do think it's hugely important, especially today, because, you know, most of my listeners are in SaaS and the, the SaaS marketplace is super, super saturated. So if you are not someone who's telling a really unique and interesting, compelling story, you're just going to be part of the rest of the noise out there. So it's really key, I think, to develop that skill set as a seller. What are some things people can do just to, to, you know, hone in on their uh, storytelling abilities? Well, I think it starts with mindset. Yeah. And, you know, so the average person listening to this, you are an account executive, you're an SDR. Um, and I think the challenge is too many people are thinking like a business person. And instead, what, what you need to do is think like an entertainer. And I say okay. that because entertainers care about one thing, my audience. Yeah. Right. I care about creating a great experience for my audience. Whereas I think when, I, I think when we're in that business mindset, we just, we, we obsess over ourselves. Uh, we obsess over our product yeah. and we, we very quickly get far, far away from, from making our audience the emphasis and the priority. But if you look at the entertainer, you know, they, they curate their set list saying, you know, I want, what, what emotion do I want them leaving this arena buzzing about? Mm-hmm. Actors will cut lines from a script if they think, you know what, this is actually, it might sound good to me, but it's actually taking away from the, from the larger story here, from what this character needs to be accomplishing. Right. Right. And so that entertainment mindset, I think, is so key because inherently where it puts you at as a starting point is being able to see and speak from your audience's point of view, from your audience's frame of reference. Um, And when you have that as a starting point, I think then you can actually start becoming a better storyteller as a seller. And then once, you know, once you have the mindset down, then you can really get into some of these like tactical strategies around storytelling. Yeah. That's super interesting. So when, like, what kind of, you guys mostly work with tech startups or, or is it a pretty broad list of, of different clients you have? Yeah. Uh, primarily like tech startups, uh, you know, specifically in like the, the SaaS game, we work with a lot of companies that are B2B SaaS. Uh, we'll work closely with like the CEO, the head of sales and the sales team to figure out the sales narrative. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of becomes a thing that gets like um, sort of, ripples out through the rest of the company. Um, and so we'll work on like figuring out your elevator pitch, your, your presentation deck, your demo flow. Um, uh, and then, you know, on top of that, once we create some of those things, we'll do uh, ongoing demo coaching every month with the reps to oh, make wow. sure that the story is being told well, uh, that you're not just, you know, reading it once be like, okay, well, I'm just going back to the thing I'm doing. Right, you're actually getting the story out there and improving on it every time. And then on top of that, just some like making sure that you're staying, that you're embodying just good sales behavior and good sales skills. So yeah. like even, down, even down to like, you know, um, how to talk through like next steps with a prospect, sure. um, recognizing when you could have gone deeper in a question recognizing opportunities around how to pull in other stakeholders, uh, things of that nature. So what are some of the things that you guys observe when you're taking on maybe a new client or, you know, maybe they're not even a client, but you're just sort of observing the marketplace. What are some sort of like messaging and positioning no-nos or don'ts out there that you guys see that are usually signals for, Hey, they might need our help. Uh, What are some of the things you see? I'm just curious, because I think this will help my listeners know what not to focus on when they're, you know, crafting an elevator pitch 
or yeah. approaching their, their book of business for the first or second time. Yeah. What are some of like the biggest pitfalls that you guys see? So observationally, you can tell pretty quick if you just like read a company's LinkedIn bio. Yeah. You know, and if it's like, we are an award winning AI powered, (laughs) the uh, jargon, neuro linguistics platform special, you know, right. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, well, if that's what, if that's what it is on like their LinkedIn bio, there's a good chance that that start like that, that's, that's influencing Right, how the sales team is operating because that message was created by marketing and marketing is influencing what sales does. Um, and likely that's already on the website. You know, that was probably extrapolated or, or you yes. know, synthesized from some block of content on the website that says we're, you know, the number one award-winning AI driven, da, 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 right? So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, so things like that, I think are good, like just observational things to look at. I, I think it's an interesting thing is actually pair that with how to individual reps at the company describe themselves on LinkedIn. So like- um, Actually, so can I, can I, are you okay if I like guinea pig you for a second? Please. Yeah, this is awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a, this is a teaching moment. Okay. Yeah. And hold, don't hold like back. So like your LinkedIn bio, I'm going to read it out loud. Okay. All right. Uh, Experienced sales, business development, and operations leader with a strong entrepreneurial drive, high risk tolerance, and proven track record of delivering key results as both an individual contributor and team leader in both early and late stage venture backed SaaS startups. Highly skilled negotiator, proficient in engaging and showcasing value to executive level buyers, technical buyers, and other key stakeholders in the vendor procurement process. And then there, there's a little bit more after that. Yeah. Uh, at the end, you say, I'm passionate about adding value to my prospects, customers, and teammates uncovering high revenue opportunities and solving complex business problems with great technology. So when I look at that, what I'm seeing, like I can throw a rock and hit 10,000 other profiles that totally roughly the same thing. Um, You know, it'd be goal oriented, hardworking, um, driven, right? Those kinds of things. Yeah. And what this does is is it's like three, four, five, like really packed sentences that don't, it's trying to hit on like the buzzwords, but not actually saying anything. Mm. Um, And especially when you consider this is like, you know, your personal page. Yeah. um, It's, it it doesn't tell me about Jesse, the person, right? It, it, It tells me about Jesse trying to sound like he's up for the job. I see. I see. But it's not differentiating you personally at all from anyone else. And I always like, here, here's like the way you can like, um, kind of like compare about how, like where, why you can improve it. So, so your first sentence here, experienced sales, business development, operations leader with a strong entrepreneurial drive, high risk tolerance and proven track record. Yeah. Is anyone saying the opposite? Is anyone saying ex- inexperienced sales, biz dev, and operations leader with an no. awful entrepreneurial drive, low risk tolerance, and zero track record? Right. Right. So th- like no one's saying the opposite. So trying to say that is like, it's just more, more of the same that other people are trying it's to obvious. say. It's obvious. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. Why would, why, why, like why waste lines of text on you know, table stakes or, or what's, what should be obvious. Exactly. Like no one's out there trying to go, no one's out there trying to underperform. Good point. So if I were you, I would rewrite this whole thing. I, I would, I would delete it, rewrite it and tell me about who you are as a person. Like, what do you care about? What do you believe in? Um, yeah. And, or tell me a story about yourself that gets across the type of person that you are. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite ones I ever read, um, her bio was something like, uh, in third grade, I was being interviewed to, to join the advanced mathematics, you know, the, the advanced math uh, little like, you know, section of class. Sure. Yeah. And there was a question on the entry exam that asked, uh, how many hours are there in a day? And I wrote in like, like 23.98 and they, they told me the answer was wrong, but then I went back to them and I explained how, if you actually look at the amount of like time Earth's it rotation. takes to make a rotation, <laughs> yeah. it, it actually is just, just slightly short of 24 hours. And I told them 23.98 is the correct answer and not 24. And then it's just like, I never got into that math program. Wow. And then from there, it's like, it then went into like. I guess I just have a habit of not accepting things at face value. And here's how I'm like a challenger person for every company that I work at. 
That is a cool stuff. So first and foremost, I'm going to step back and say, I really appreciate you going through mine. I definitely know my about section is very outdated. I think I probably wrote it back in like 2016 or something. And you should have seen mine when I was coming out of college, <laughs> man. It was the same thing. It was like, yeah. And, and it was, a, it was a long sentence with like nine commas in it. <laughs> and LinkedIn is such a fun, you know, I, I think, especially for, for folks that have been on LinkedIn for a while, it still feels like the whole point of LinkedIn is to interview for your next job. And mm-hmm. to your point, and, and I know this to be true and yet still haven't taken action. LinkedIn is about selling myself and my brand. And that, you know, bleeds into the work I do as an AE and account executive that, you know, highlights what I'm doing with the podcast and those things. I need to be able to tell those stories. And what I love about this woman's story you're saying is like, I just learned a hell of a lot more about her than I ever could have learned from three sentences talking about her track record for success and her past roles. But now I know she's like someone who does her research very thoroughly and maybe has a little bit of a chip on her shoulder because she doesn't like the bullshit of someone telling her, you know, she's wrong when she knows she's right. So I know Mm -hmm. she's like someone who's just not going to settle for the status quo. And I don't, you know, I haven't looked at this profile or anything, but I already feel like I know a lot about this person. So whether I'm evaluating her for a SaaS position on my team or, you know, trying to do business with her or partner with her in some way, I already have these like really deep insights into who she is and the kind of work product she's doing just from that really short anecdote. So that is really interesting. And compare that to, you know, if you think about someone who's like, you know, a company's looking to hire uh, for, you know, an AE or an SDR or something like, yeah. Take that story against someone writing proficient in cross-disciplinary selling, <laughs> you know, environments. Right. The second one doesn't really mean any, I mean, it, it means something, but it's just, it's, it, it means nothing at the same time. Yeah. And, I, and if I'm hiring, I want the person who's telling me upfront that they essentially expect nothing but the best from themselves and everyone around them. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, what are some other, so you know, it sounds like you guys focus on that message and LinkedIn's a really interesting starting place for how, you know, not only reps, but brands themselves are, are presenting themselves to their audience. W- what else? Tell us more. This is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So if we kind of get into like the weeds of uh, like where, you know, we kind of like tactically start to see companies, you know, just not have the right messaging, especially on the sales front is so, you know, when we, when we come into companies and we do our process, we, we create what, what we call a story stack. Um, so it's like not your tech stack, but your story stack, right? Um, the layers of messaging. And the first thing we'll do is do a demo audit. We'll just, we'll review a bunch of recordings and just see how things are going and learn, you know, what are some of the common behaviors? What is the customer saying, et cetera? Yeah. And we were just, we were just doing one this past week. And one of the, um, one of the things that came up over and over again was an inability to explain what the company does um, in anything less than two to three minutes, I think. In some cases, it, it was oh, a wow. five-minute description. And that was in the upfront, let me tell you about what we do sort of uh, description. Yeah. Um, which is, And it's more common than you think, um, especially as a company starts to grow and you, you know, your product gets one more feature added to mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. Um, that, that elevator pitch, that I like to call it, becomes more and more difficult. So... Um, the formula we always work off of, we call it the que pasa elevator pitch formula, which if you know Spanish, you know, que pasa yeah. means what's up. And that's so, really what you got to tell your customers, what's up with your company. Um, and so the, the second, the PASA is an acronym, problem, yeah. approach, solution, action. So if you communicate through that lens, yeah. you'll be able to get your, you'll be able to get your company information across in maximum 60 seconds, you know, Usually it's going to range somewhere between like 25 and 40 seconds. And you're, you're, you're distributing the information in a progressive way to where they want to keep hearing what you have to say next. Hmm. Uh, and you're getting out just the right amount of information that it creates the teaser to want to, to want to learn more or to want to keep going. Right. It's a hook and not just like this droning five minute, you know, yeah. Yeah. Block of, of talking. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. So like, an example, so, you know, we work with, with startups of all different types, but like one of my favorite ones is actually a B2C company, but you can see how the same kind of thing could apply here mm-hmm. in a B2B. Side. And I can even give a B2B example afterwards, but yeah, um, this company, uh, fan food, um, actually one of our first clients ever. And the, this was, you know, when they were just getting started, it was the founders and CEO. And I was like, okay, tell me, 
what, is, what does your company do? And the CEO, his name's Carson. I, I have video because I was like recording it and he was like, <laughs> okay, so yeah. Fan food is a live event venue and stadium mobile ordering app. Um, the value add for the venue is higher per cap revenue. The value add for the fan is uh, reduced waiting times in line. Mm. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, blunt, it gets the point across, but it's not very sexy. Uh, I'll say that. Right. It doesn't inspire. It doesn't um, right. make someone say, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't get goosebumps. Got, over tell it. me more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what we converted that to using the K-Pasta formula, pro- again, problem, approach, solution, action. As a diehard sports fan, there's nothing more frustrating than going to your favorite team's game and missing the big play because you were stuck waiting in line Ooh. for a hot dog and beer. fan food keeps you in the moment wow use the fan food app to get your food and drink fan food mobile ordering app to get your food and drinks delivered directly to your seat so you never miss a big play again download fan food in the app store today that is cool that took me it just took me there i mean the story puts me in the actual scenario and again i think like the first iteration of it wasn't absolutely awful it it got the point across but it didn't put me as the as the user or the buyer in the situation and now i feel it was like robotic right yeah um yeah like when when would you when do you ever want to say out loud the value add for this person (laughs) is this the value add for this person is this yeah that's that's a little like it it lacks a lot of creativity to just say like here's the value Yeah. yeah exactly okay cool versus in this other pitch like They've had people, you know, Carson has had people, I've been with him when he's been in groups and told this and people will stop him mid sentence to tell him the exact game they were at and the play that they missed. Because if you are a sports fan, you have experienced that before. And you know, you know, for me, it was a seventh inning home run in a Cubs game, yeah. right? Everyone yeah. has that, and, and, you that know, story there was one that, guy one time yeah. yeah, who was like, oh my God, that happened to me. The Odell Beckham catch, like one of the best catches of all time. I paid a thousand dollars for my end zone seat. And I had to watch it on the freaking construction or the concession stand TV, you know, cause I was waiting for my hot yeah. dog. Yeah. Oh man. That is awesome. What's a, what's a good B2B one uh, that you have? Yeah. This- so if we think about like, yeah, think about like your discovery or your demo call, you want to take a little bit different of an approach to it because, uh, or like a, uh, it, it carries a little bit different, um, like sentence cadence, because now you're in like a one-on-one sales conversation. So you can't, it can't have the same like advertising sort of like, um, like nature to it. Like yeah. the fan food one, that is effing perfect. If they it's, go and sponsor a podcast and do a mid-roll ad. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, but you're not going to necessarily get someone on a call one-on-one and say that same thing, especially if you know, you're talking to the stadium right? The stadium's going to have a different value prop altogether, but um, right. I'll shift to a different company. Uh, and this is, you know, one of our, one, another one of my favorite companies who've actually been working with them for the last like uh, 20 months or so, more than that, uh, almost two years. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a company that operates in e-commerce, uh, e-commerce retail, and the company's name is Search Spring. And their elevator pitch is, um, we talk to e-commerce teams every day who tell us they're, uh, they're stuck spinning their wheels trying to get their website to work the way they want it to. The search bar is pulling up incorrect items, trying to categorize items on their page is, is, uh, is a pain and, and uh, trying to set things up takes so much manual labor. They're losing like 10, 10 hours every week. Hmm. Search Spring gives you total control over your site so that it looks and it acts exactly the way you want it to. Yeah. Use, use the search merchandising and personalization tools that help you put the right shopper or the right product in front of the right shopper at the right time. So you can boost your conversion rates and make sure that you don't have to make sure you get those 10 hours back every week for more important activities. Yeah. Right. And so they deliver that. And then since it's like in a one-on-one conversation, the action step is something like, you know, do you feel like you got a decent high level? Like, I, I want to go deeper into this, but do you feel like you have a decent starting starting point? And so many times, you know, because we, we listen to the calls, right? So many times people will be like, no, that's actually really helpful because I didn't, I didn't even realize you did this other thing. 
I uh, thought because yeah. the name has search in it, you just did search. Search, yeah, yeah. Right. And just to like break that down a little bit further, like when you're in that one-on-one demo or discovery call, you've got to highlight the pro. Like you want to use that K-Pasa formula, but you got to highlight the problem without mm-hmm. directly accusing the person you're talking to of having the problem. Yeah. Because I mean, and they might, and they probably do. But if you come in guns blazing and you're like, you suck at this thing, what do you think the reaction is going to be? Well, they're going to be defensive and then they're going to close off and stop, you know, glaze over and not, not listen anymore. Frankly, yeah, they'll be like, you don't know me. Even if they have the yeah. issue, they'll be like, you don't know me. Right. Who, who is this person trying to come in here and tell me how to run mm-hmm. my business? Which is yep. why, you know, and I say it takes on a different sentence structure than like the advertising kind of version, because there's a lot of power in what I call diffusing the problem across the market. We talk to blank who tell us blank. Mm. So now, you know, we talk to e- we talk to e-commerce teams every day who tell us this is what they're going through. Yeah. Now what you're do- you've diffused the problem across the market. So essentially you're like, I'm not saying you have this problem. I'm just saying people like you have this problem. So right. Maybe there's something in there you can relate to. So in, in doing that, you're able to highlight the problem while making it okay for them. Because now you've essentially, you've done two things. You've made it okay for them to admit fault because you're saying other people experience this too, mm-hmm. right? Because people never want to feel alone in their problems. You know, at a more like meta level, like that's why more people who should see a therapist don't see a therapist, right? Because <laughs> there's not, right? No, but, but like really think about that. The, because, yeah, you need like the social proof or you need to feel like exactly you're the only, you know, person out there that needs that. Yeah, exactly. There's a stigma around it. So mm-hmm similarly like people don't want to feel like there's a stigma about their problem so you have to make it okay for them to admit they have a problem and and simultaneously by saying we talk to these you know these kinds of people every day all the time every week whatever that sort of like you know number you put on it yeah you're also saying i'm in the game with you mm-hmm. like I, I, that, that's your that's your proof and credibility up front right. hey I, i'm in this thing i I'm part of this landscape, just like you are. I'm not some outsider trying to tap on the glass saying, please let me in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm invested. Yeah. What, what else? Tell us some more stories. <laughs> I like stories. Uh, here's another one that I, I probably haven't really talked about this much because I just wrote an article on, about it yesterday um, or, or earlier this week. Um, and it's on the power of framing. Okay. Okay. Um, the idea behind framing is you, this, you know, this it can be applied in a lot of different cases. I think probably the lowest hanging fruit here is as it pertains to data or stats or numbers or trends. Um, you know, just think about like the average presentation slide, if it's referencing some data, yeah. um, you know, and in the article I wrote, I'll just use that because it's top of mind for me. Sure. Yeah, um, please. I basically sourced a bunch of graphs and charts online about growth in the video game industry. And, you know, and literally just do a Google image search of, um, you know, video game industry growth. You'll get a hundred results of different yeah. charts, you know, about, you know, and the only thing that's really going to change is like year 2018 or year 2020, whatever that might be, 2021. Um, and the, they might be using a bar graph, they might be using a wheel, they might be using a line graph. But what you'll notice is nearly every single one of those um, headers on the graph says something like global video game industry performance, 2018 to 2020, yeah. um, video game industry growth this specific year, global video game market, right? That's what you'll see as the header on it. Right. And right. so effectively, yes, that's what this graph, this chart, this slide contains is information on that. But it's presented, the header presents the data from a neutral standpoint. And a neutral delivery of that information is going to generate a neutral result from the audience, a neutral response rather, right? Like the most you'll do is just be like, okay, cool. When you see that, right? Okay, cool. is not what you want people responding. (laughs) Right. It's not enough. (laughs) Yeah. So framing is all about being able to put these things in within the context of your point of view. And because if you're not framing, if you're saying global video game market, you're leaving it to your audience to determine 
what should I, what, what should I believe about this slide? What yeah. should I believe about this data? What's my own taking? What's my own take? Like they decide for you what they want their takeaway to be. There's no guidance or there's no, yeah, like, like you're not, you're not giving any hints to the, to the reader, right? Uh, or the, exactly. the audience. So, okay. Interesting. Now compare that to, um, cause I took that and I, give me one second. I'm going to pull it. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, So I ended up taking those charts, right? And I just, I, I applied frame. I just did like a Photoshop over them and I applied framing. Um, so we had one where there was a chart that said US video game industry revenues 2018 versus 2017. I rewrote that too. Every sector of gaming has grown 15 plus percent in just one year. Wow. There was another one where the chart was 2020 global games market and it, the actual graph, it was a wheel that broke it out like by like mobile PC, yeah. browser, tablet, you know, console, et cetera. So I rewrote that too. Device size doesn't matter. Everyone in caps, everyone is a gamer now. So you're just kind of pulling, now the reader just has a little more context on what they're looking at. Cause otherwise they're just looking at a pie graph and they, like you said, they have to come to their own conclusion on it. You're just giving them a shove in the right direction, allowing them to, you know, come to a conclusion, but guiding them to that conclusion is kind of what I'm understanding. That's okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, I think the, probably the best example, this whole, this whole article was inspired by, I subscribed to this newsletter called charter C H A R T R. And it's basically like visual, it visualizes data in a better way to create news articles. Um, make sure you go to .co and not .com because I, I typed in .com and it's, it's a path towards installing like a virus or something. So charter, C-H-A-R-T-R dot C-O, not .com. Uh, make sure you get that right. Uh, so they, they basically produce short news stories where they're able to better uh, visualize data for you. And so this whole thing was sparked because they had one on video game industry growth, right? But yeah. their, their chart, you know, visually it looked good, but it compared video games to movie ticket sales. Okay. Yeah. And okay. the header said the video game industry is bigger than the box office dot, dot, dot by a lot. And then the actual numbers on it is, is like 93 billion versus 39 billion. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to look at that slide through anything other than the lens of holy crap, Compared, video yeah. games are way bigger than I thought. They're bigger than movies. That's insane. Oh, that is cool. Right? And so okay. that's the power of being able to frame the information for your customer. You help provide the, the takeaway thought, right? If you say here, you know, global games market, I can right. think of a million things about uh, what, what I want to think about that. And, and chances are, I'm going to think of something that's not working in your favor. Yeah. But yeah. if you tell me video games are bigger than the box office by a lot, I, I have no, like, I have to make an active effort to not think that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, man, that's so interesting. Th these seem like small things that you can implement, but they obviously make a massive very impact. Powerful, right. Yeah. yeah. You just drop them in, uh, you know, another, like one of our customers we were working with, they sell into more of like a B2C kind of market, um, mm -hmm. kind of like, they do like a lot of like group selling to get there. Uh, but like, uh, it's almost like a channel distribution kind of thing with group selling. And that specific market is like highly price, like price sensitive. Right. Uh, so like to be a reseller of their product, you have to pay like 75 bucks or 70 bucks a year just to have like the distribution license, which is not a lot of money. But I mean, think about how like you get annoyed when like, random subscription just increases by like two bucks a month right so like yeah, that's netflix where, i think just recently did that yeah yeah right so that's where like the that market is going to get annoyed or, or have hesitation right and so even if we apply framing there we don't even need it on a slide necessarily you know just having your team or you as the seller just framing that a different way right yeah. so what we did was we we're like okay you know how we're going to frame this we're going to say the annual fee is really only like half the cost of an Amazon Prime membership. Yeah, yeah. 
right? You know what you pay for Prime and you know you've, you've already clearly proven to yourself you're willing to pay that. Yeah. So this is this is this is just about half of it. And you know, and there's like there's there's little things you can throw in there, like only, right? Mm-hmm. It's only about half the price, half the cost. Or uh going back to some of that like video game stuff, right? Like um the 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 first one that I told you I rewrote, like every sector of gaming has grown 15 plus percent in just one year. Yeah. Right. So just the, as key. The there. one year kind of brings in how short of a time frame that is. So now I have that perspective of, well, that was fast, you know, or, yeah. or that was, you know, a tight timeline to grow that much. And it's not just that it's the one year, it's that it's just one year because one year just could one year. seem like that actually took a long time to some people. But if it's True. just one year, it's why well, that happened pretty fast. Yeah. Compared to five years, 10 years, that was fast, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's bringing it into that level of detail. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So those are some of the, those are some good like storytelling tips, I think. Um, I mean, framing is just, it's, it's so powerful, right? A lot of the work we also do is uh, working with early stage startups, like on their investor fundraising pitch decks. And oh, okay. you know, we, we kind of apply that model to like every slide there um, yeah. where, you know, your slide header should really be not a description of what's on the slide. It should be the concluding thought a person is supposed to have. So you'll often see, you know, you know a startup raising money will have a slide that says like, you know, industry size, for example, yeah, or market. And that's very neutral. But being able to do like what we said with the video game stuff, like that's different. Or, uh, you know, I'll never forget this. I was judging a pitch competition a few months ago and the company that won did this. Um, they were on the slide where they were talking about their own growth uh, and their customer acquisition. The average company is going to put up that slide and yeah. the title of the slide customer acquisition or growth metrics with a chart. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Their slide. I still remember it. It was, we are very good at acquiring customers quickly and profitably. <laughs> yeah. So regardless of the data on that slide, all I remember, right. They're good I, at to it, be yeah. honest, like the data could have even maybe shown that or not. Not that I'm telling people to lie. <laughs> yeah. It could have been a flat but, line, but you're still like, well, at least they're getting them fast. Uh, you know, at least they're acquiring customers fast yeah. and efficiently. Right. <laughs> and I forever remember them as like for yeah. that. Well, if there's one thing I remember, it's that they know how to acquire customers. Like they figured that part out of the funnel. So I can imagine that's really important when you're, you know, putting putting a slide deck in front of an investor and trying to raise capital because, you know, VCs are looking at how many, God knows how many presentations every single day. Mm-hmm. You really want to help position and get them in the right thought track so that one, you don't get a bunch of questions. Cause I, I think, you know, if I were an investor, um, you know, professional VC anyway, I'd be very skeptical of most presentations I see from early startups because they're going to say something like we're the best in class, artificially intelligent, this and that. And, you know, mm-hmm. here's a chart that shows our growth over the last six months, but I don't really have, yeah, I still don't have any of the meat and I still don't even know what lens to judge them by other than my own bias or my own, uh, you know, experience. And that might be harsh uh, based on other startups I've looked at. So like you're saying, bringing them in and giving that specificity and making it more memorable so that what the investor leaves with is, well, I don't know. We don't know a lot about this. This is an unknown unknown. We're investing in a new company, but what we do know is that they're pretty good at getting customers on quickly and efficiently. So that's all we need to know. know, Um, And when it's a stack of 20 decks they've seen in the last two days, what are they going to remember? The company that that, that talked like that. And then similarly, you know, for your customers, right. uh, As a seller, they're probably not just talking to you. They're probably evaluating many different people, many different vendors. So if you can essentially shape the story for them around what they should be believing about you, it's going to go a longer way than just being neutral about how you present everything. Yeah. Do you do a lot of work with clients on cold emails or marketing, email marketing, content marketing, and those kind of things? And, and what are some insights you've gained from, from doing that type of work? Yeah. So we, we work sometimes like, sometimes as part of the process, we'll do a little bit on like the prospecting, um, like strategies. Um, but I, I actually, I probably have way more content about top funnel stuff than we actually do as a service, mainly cause it's just sure. like, uh, we don't really desire to like, to get, like work with companies on like, what's your cadence, what's your, what are your metrics, et cetera, uh, around prospecting. We're just like, 
we know how to do it. So take this information and run with it for the most part, uh, yeah. aside from like, Hey, let's, let's do like some like strategy, you know, advisory on it uh, generally. But, um, I think the biggest thing, you know, I'm a huge fan of personalization yeah. and I think where I see personalization go wrong in a lot. So there's, there's probably two points I want to make here. One is I don't think five lines or less is good advice. Uh, I think it's a very like restrictive piece of advice because if your email is good, if it's personalized, if it can tell a story, people mm-hmm. will read it. Regardless um, of how long it is. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you obviously yeah. can't make it 90 pages, but I've got, I've got screenshot examples of emails I have sent that were 18 sentences, 22 sentences that generated responses within 10 minutes and booked a meeting for the next day. That, that was always like sort of a, a mental gymnastics for me because early on in my career, I studied some of the great copywriters. And if you look at like a, a sales letter from, you know, some of the old school copywriters, it's super long. It's, it's just this wall of text yeah. and yet it works. I mean, there's some of these, you know, copywriters out there could sell, you know, multiple millions of dollars worth of products through these long sales letters. And then I got into tech sales and the, you know, prevailing thought is, super concise, one to two, three sentences at most, and your email shouldn't be that long. But I I think this is really interesting and different from what I've been hearing is what you're saying is length is not as important as impact and story. And I think that's super cool. Well, because yeah, I think there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, well, it's gotten to seven sentences now. So I got to start cutting things away. But it's like, but are you cutting value out just to be the two sentences shorter? Right. I think short is required if it's a mass email. Yeah, because then there's like, you're just trying to like hope something sticks and people are, if if there's nothing personalized about it, they're not going to read if it's longer. Yeah. But I also, that's why, you know, we never like, at least ourselves, we never employ totally mass without any like, type of like customization or personal automated, you know, mass right. spray and spray and pray. And, and I'm like no longer a believer in that tactic. I think, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you could put together a sequence and send a bunch of emails out and you'd probably get some responses. But I just think in 2022, yeah. there is a certain level of like you know, one storytelling to your point, but personalization and a little bit of research done uh, ahead of time so that you are you know, at least somewhat aware and you have at least a, a hot take on where the company could get value yeah. from your product, but also not using things like, here's how you could get value rather, you know, putting it into a story and, uh, and framing it. So, man, yeah. this is good stuff. This is stuff that I think most tech salespeople don't unfortunately dig into because if you're just going by what the, the, you know, most common SaaS sales training methodologies are out there, they never dig into things like framing or, you know, even anchoring price. So we talked a little bit about, you know, sure. price anchoring or storytelling. It, it's, it, it's something you see from the best reps but it's never trained on as it's hardly encouraged too, because I think a lot of folks in this industry think it is just a numbers game and it's tech. It doesn't you know, have it should, to be though. It doesn't know, have like to be. I, I, uh, I tested out a theory that you could actually prospect on Thanksgiving this past year. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't working on Thanksgiving, but I scheduled a campaign yeah. to go out uh, between six and 10 PM local time, Thanksgiving, like, like recipients, local time, Thanksgiving night. No way. Okay. And I did a very small sample size. I think I sent it to 29 people who had previously attended a webinar I did like a month or two earlier. Yeah. And my personalization on that was uh, usually at this point of Thanksgiving, I've run out of things to talk about with my family. And sometimes <laughs> I even just like take fake bathroom breaks just to look at my phone. This is so figured, true. You figured that might be the case for you as well. So yeah. if so, like here, you know, and then here's the value prop, right? And, I, and, and so this is where I say it doesn't have to be a numbers game. 29 uh, emails generated uh, four responses and three meetings. The fourth response was just wrong person. Like they yeah. had no decision-making power. Wow. Uh, but three out of 29 is not bad, right? People are getting three out Absolutely. of 100, three out of 500. <laughs> And when you think about it, so, so it's funny, I've actually done something similar to this in the past where I, I reached out to just specific key prospects that either I had talked to at some point in the past year, had a semblance of a relationship with them, but used like the whole Thanksgiving premise of like, by six o'clock, you're kind of tired of the small talk and the socializing and you're probably sitting on a couch, like totally stuffed with turkey and alcohol mm-hmm. and everything else. And you're just like 
looking for some kind of escape. And sometimes that escape is totally LinkedIn or your email inbox. Mm -hmm. And I, I do the same. So uh, I've done, you know, something very similar. And I think that's, that's brilliant. And right. man, that's cool to hear that you had such a, a high conversion on something like that. And I think it is that sort of out of the box thinking that really sets a good seller apart from someone who's just, you know, playing by the, the same old rules and sending the same old, you know, jargon and yeah. out of the, you know, canned message out that doesn't really tell any kind of a story and doesn't, isn't really real. Cause what you're saying you did is it's real. You, you like address the elephant in the room, which is like, by this point, you're tired of like hanging out with your family and you're looking for something else to think about. And right. this will give you like a quick win. And funny enough, one of the people who, you know, they replied, no one replied that night, right? They all replied the next week. Yeah. No yeah. one said, I can't believe you'd send an email on Thanksgiving. Instead, in fact, one of them said, Hey, this email was perfect timing because here's these initiatives we've been working on. Yeah. Wow. Oh man, that that's great. So pay attention listeners. That's a really cool tactic and, and a great idea. One more thing though. I, let me just point this out real quick. Um, yeah. In that specific example that I gave, notice how, and I think this is a lot, it's a lot easier for me to, to say this as a company owner right? And so I say this knowing that it's easier for me, but, but also with the advice of like any SDR listening to this, like it is possible if you just think things through things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I wrote that email and that first line, I, I wrote from a place of I'm on the same level as this person. Right. Right. Hey, what, what did I say? It was like, uh, you know, if you're like me, Chances are at this point, you know, you've run out of things to talk about with your family. I didn't, I didn't like write it as if they were like this superior that I'm just hoping to get a response from. Sure. And the reality is like, yeah, it might be easier for me because I'm a company owner, but a lot of the people that I prospect into are CEOs of hyper growth startups, which I am not that. Right. Right. So there is still like, there is still a, a separation there, but, but I always try to speak as if we are on the same level. I don't, because then, then that creates more, like the messaging naturally will come out as more like real and relatable. That's huge. How, so let's just use the example of an SDR. Maybe, maybe there's an SDR out there listening to this podcast and they're you know, 21 years old in their first or second sales role. And they're like, how the hell am I supposed to act like I'm on the same level as even a small business owner, but much less a, you know, executive at a fortune 100 company or something like that. Cause there's absolutely SDRs out there trying to reach those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what can you do? You know, what are some things you can do to sort of posture yourself as uh, on that same level? And I think you've given some good examples, but I'm just curious to dig in more. Cause this is still something I struggle with even, you know, I've been doing SaaS sales for a long time, but it's still hard to, to sort of position yourself as on the same level as your, as your buyers, especially as you go up the chain and you start to selling that you start selling to higher level executives. I think, well, first listen to the little John song, get on my level. Uh, that would be the first <laughs> yeah. uh, little John and whoever else, I don't, I don't remember who it was, uh, Trailville maybe, uh, yeah. next you're gonna, um, just look at what you're writing and does it sound conversation? Does it sound like how you might just tell your own peer the exact yeah. same information? And so they're like little things like saying like, Hey, Jesse was thinking this might, was thinking this might be cool. Right. Or was thinking you might uh, want to take a look at this. Right. Yeah. That that's just a little bit more conversational than uh, I'm surfacing this article for you. Right. Or, right. You know, wanted to get this on your radar or something that just sounds a lot more jargony. It's not like I wouldn't send my best buddy an article and be like, Hey, I wanted to get this on your radar. I would say, yeah. dude, have you seen this? Or, you know, have you checked this out yet? Yeah. And and I think it's even like little things too, right? Like was thinking is a little bit different than I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. You're almost like in mid-thought, which is right. how someone would talk to someone of equal sort of stature to them. Right. Yeah. Those are some of the little things you do. Like just look at look at your email. And be like, if I rewrote this same value prop, but to my friend or my roommate, would it sound like this? That's, and obviously, you know, if it's like, like, take that like with the lens of like, you're not going to like curse throughout it or, or be like, sup, you know? Like, <laughs> right. It can be too informal, but you want to be more informal than probably what you're doing today, which is some, again, heavily jargon oriented 
uh, or you're just trying to sound like you're more verbose than you actually are. So you want to avoid that. Cause I think it's, it's so true that execs can smell that. And it, it's just like an automatic archive it or put it in the spam box or ignore, yeah. you know, cause it, you can smell it. Right. Let me ask this. Have you, how, how, how much do you use your hip hop in your, your business and your selling? I, I saw that you have a, a couple of videos and things like that. And I always love talking to people that have like a skill set or a passion that's totally in some ways unrelated to what they do. Yeah. Uh, but they managed to incorporate that into, and you seem like someone who really embodies that. Like you, you have all these aspects to who you are and you've managed to merge all those with your business. Tell us about like hip hop and how you incorporate that in your, in your business. It is uh, very much part of the brand. Um, yeah, I actually literally because we've been we've been growing over the last several months, um, and as part of that, I wanted to create core values for the company. And so I actually just recently finished working with a consultant to create our core values, which we'll be rolling out soon. Yeah. But um, I made a decision that every core value has a corresponding hip hop lyric. <laughs> that it was either inspired by that lyric or I feel it reflect like the value is reflected in that lyric. Yeah. Um, so it, it's literally like, it's just like, it's like imbibed in us from, from the start um, in a selling sense. You know, I think part of that, like that mindset, right? like think like an entertainer, you know, mm -hmm. um, flavor Flav was probably the you know most well-known hype man ever. Yeah. Um, and even just like literally like the actual creation of music, like we use music oftentimes as a way to, create promotional tools um, uh, or to create promotion for the business uh, to create leads. So like um, a few years back, I rewrote the lyrics to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I saw that. Okay. Put up my phone. Right. And I recorded that and I wasn't really expecting much. Like I just yeah. like, it seemed like it might be funny Threw it online and like, Holy crap. It got so many views it drove so many leads like, wow, you know, you can be creative with your stuff. And now, you know, like last summer, uh, I, I rewrote and recreated Eminem's song Stan and it was called Carl. And it was about a lonely SDR named Carl who just keeps trying to get a meeting with, you know, his number one prospect who refuses, who just never replies to him. Yeah. You know, and we kind of like follow like the Stan story arc, but as the SDR's life starts to crumble, um, oh, that's awesome. You know, that drove tons of views. You know, I, like the total watch time on it was like 15 or 16,000 minutes. Wow. And I'm wow. like, damn, it's hard to get someone to watch something for 20 seconds. Right. And here people are watching, Stan is a long song, right? Yeah. It's a absolutely. six and a half minute music video and people are watching it all the way through and watching it four or five times. Uh, and then sharing it out with friends and you know that drove a ton of leads ton of pipeline it drove uh it, it drove uh immediately within 10 days it drove uh pretty good revenue like a like we got a pretty good revenue deal out of it and then long tail it's continued to drive opportunities and more revenue wow that i see i love stories like that because i you know again i i've I try to make an effort to bring more of myself into what I do. And I do think when I have done that in the past, when I've been myself, that's when prospects buy for me is because they're like, this guy's the real deal. He really cares. And when, you know, when I'm comfortable being myself and bringing in my own interests and other, you know, I, I become sort of a 360 degree person, right? And not just what you see on the Zoom screen that's pitching some product. I'm a whole person really trying to solve problems. So you've given me some very good actionable advice today for my own brand online and definitely some great ideas to kind of incorporate into my discovery and, and my you know sales deck and elevator pitch and those things. Uh, I know we're here at time, so I want to give my listeners uh, a chance to, to get in touch with you. How can, we, how can we find you on the web? How do we connect with you? How do we utilize uh, your services too? Um, so you can, I would say, follow me on LinkedIn. You just type in Raj Nation, all one word, R-A-J Nation. Um, go ahead and follow me there. I'm, that's where most of our content lives. Um, is on my personal profile. Um, and then I think what would be helpful is we talked about that K Pasa elevator pitch. So yeah. I've actually got like a short little guide that can help you through that cool. um, in, in creating your own. Um, so just go to startuphypeman.com slash SSP for SaaS sales players. Um, and you can just grab it off of that. Uh, and then if you want to work with Startup Hype Man, um, you know, unfortunately we don't have any sort of product or service that we directly sell to an AE or directly sell to an SDR. But 
if you heard something that you liked and you want to run this up the ladder to your CEO or your head of sales or whomever, yeah. um, you know, that like we sell to the company level and then we work with the team. So uh, that would be, you know, the path to working with us. That's, that's incredible. Uh, Raj, thanks so much for coming on and sharing just tons of awesome value. Really appreciate it. And the listeners will like it too. Uh, so yeah, thank you. I had a blast. Thank you. 